Rage is contagious, and it creates distance, disaster, and divorce. But anger, expressed appropriately, equals energy, intimacy, and serenity. That's a quote by best-selling author John Lee, who I interview in today's podcast, podcast number 43. Title is, What to Do When I'm Angry, How the Detour Method Can Help. In this interview, John Lee and I talk about the difference between anger and rage. And this is groundbreaking information. I first heard this and learned about this in 2001, and it is going to make a difference in your relationships when you understand this difference between when am I just responding to this current situation and when am I in rage, which is something that is not probably what you think it is, um, but it is what causes that disaster and distance and breakdown in all personal and professional relationships are pretty much the reason. So what we're going to look at are nine things that we all do when we think we're expressing anger, but we're actually expressing what we're calling rage. We're going to talk about emotional regression. And so when we're in rage, we are responding to things from the past as well as what's happening in the present. And we're going to talk about what we need to do to move out of that space so that we can move to appropriate anger and the expression of that. We're going to talk about specific actions we can give to someone else or to ourselves. When we are in this place of uh, upset, that's going to have the possibility of creating distance and disaster. And then we're going to go into more of what is the detour method, which is the five questions we can use on ourselves or with another person to move out of inappropriate anger, rage, and regression. It's an important interview. If you've wondered why certain people or things push your buttons at work or at home, and if you want to have more direct, honest, and straightforward discussions when you're angry or you disagree with someone and you want those discussions to have you being honest and straightforward and be held in a productive way, you need to listen to this discussion. Let's get started. Hit it, Michael. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi there. Welcome to episode number 43, What to Do When I'm Angry how the detour method can help. My name is Susie Price and I am an assessment analyst, professional facilitator and author. And we're in our 15th year of business at Priceless Professional Development. And I'm happy to be back with you in another podcast episode. This is episode number 43. And you can find the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash anger, A-N-G-E-R lowercase. And you can also find our app. We have an Android and an iPhone app. You can find both of those, plus a directory of all our episodes at wakeupeagerworkforce.com, wakeupeagerworkforce.com. Nine out of 10 people are conflict avoidant. How about you? Do you avoid conflict? And when you have conflict, do you handle it productively? Because that is such a large issue in corporate America and just in the human race, this idea of not knowing how to handle conflict, and I certainly have been one of those people. I grew up 
in a, an environment and the role models that, that weren't very good at handling conflict. They either didn't have it or it was a blow up. I developed a course on how to handle conflict like a pro. And I've actually been involved in numerous conflict resolution situations in organizations and on teams. And the power of knowing how to handle conflict and not avoid it. To be the one out of 10 who actually goes towards conflict to address it and get information on the table so that we can move forward is is a true gift. So that's why I have the class, How to Handle Conflict Like a Pro. That class or that uh, podcast, actually, I have a podcast on the class that I teach, can be found at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash conflict. And we also talk about in that class, we talk about teams and how teams need to have passionate disagreement. You know, so we need to need to have conflict. I need to trust you enough so that I can tell you exactly what I think. We need to have some of this productive conflict and disagreement. Um, if we do on teams in particular in organizations, you're going to get better decisions because everybody will say what they really think, even if they're angry. The meetings will be exciting. They'll be interesting. And people don't feel shut down. They feel like their opinions matter and they can share them. And then and then in that type of situation, you get better decisions and then you get more commitment to the decision. So if I told you what I thought and you listened, but weren't able to follow how I thought it should be handled, if I'm on a team, I'm going to be more committed to the decision that gets made because I've been heard. So this idea of avoiding conflict on teams is really important. And that's why I wanted to talk about anger with John Lee. And in that class that I teach, the conflict class, there's a four-step process. And the third step always is to do an emotion check-in. And so what we always say is, you know, if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, halt. Don't go have the conversation. Don't use this roadmap that I've given you for having the conversation yet. Go address your hunger, your angry, your lonely, your tired, halt before you go have the discussion. So a lot of times we know how to address Dress a lot of that with hungry, lonely, and tired part, but we don't know what to do with the anger. We need those tools. As I referenced in the opening, I met John Lee in, I think it was 2001, through a mutual friend, and he was doing training on the detour method for other consultants and facilitators. And I was just in the very beginning of looking at having this business and was actually working for a consulting firm at that time. And so I was trained in the detour method and I keep these tools in my coaching toolbox and I use them on myself when I feel like I have, I'm getting ready to avoid a conflict or I'm going to be responding disproportionately to the situation. These tools have really helped. And so I think that this knowledge is important for everyone to know and for every relationship. Um, we're all, as John Lee talks about, subject to rage. And if you really are interested in bringing the best of who you are to everything you do, you're going to want to know about this process. So I'm going to read his bio. And then at the end of the podcast, after the interview, I will give you a link to his books. He has a couple of books you might want to look at, and I'll give you links to those as well as a class that he teaches online, um, as well as access to him in case he's somebody you'd like to work with or have come work in your organization. So let me tell you a little bit about John Lee. He's a pioneer. 
He's highly innovative in the fields of emotional intelligence, anger management, and emotional regression. And he is an in-demand consultant, teacher, trainer, coach, and speaker. Uh, He is the best-selling author of a book, The Flying Boy. And he's written 23 books. So he's a prolific author. Flying Boy was best-selling in the mental health field. He's considered the therapist, 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 therapist. (laughs) I can't say that. And he regularly trains and mentors therapists on how to work with clients and how to work on themselves. Uh, He's taught these techniques that he's talking to us about to thousands and thousands of individuals, couples, families, groups, corporations, and therapists all over the world. And as I mentioned, he taught me the detour method in 2001. Uh, He was featured on Oprah 2020, Barbara Walters, The View, CNN, PBS, NPR, you name it. He's been on it. He's been interviewed by Newsweek, New York Times, Los Angeles Times, and dozens of other magazines and radio talk shows. Um, He's consulted at prestigious institutions in the clinical environment, including the Betty Ford Clinic, Guy's Hospital in London, England, the New York Open Center, Hanley Center in West Palm Beach, Florida, South Pacific Hospital in Australia, and many others. So he has been in the national spotlight for many years, and he has a unique approach to anger management um, that has been embraced by the therapeutic community, but also by the corporate sector. And that's where we're going to focus on it today. He has a non-traditional approach, and it's powerful. He gives lectures and workshops and trainings in over 40 cities every year. And he's funny. He's down to earth. He's humble. He tells it like it is. And if you're curious about where he lives, he lives in Austin, Texas, and Lookout Mountain in Mentone, Alabama. So you'll hear some of his Southern draw that you hear from me. You're going to hear it from uh, John Lee as well. So let's get started on the interview. I hope you love it as much as I did. All right. I'm so happy to have you here, John Lee. Thank you for taking time out of your life and busy schedule to talk to us today. It's my pleasure. So thank you so much for contacting me, and I look forward to the talk. We haven't seen each other in 50 years, maybe. A I know. But I can still envision you, so. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm just grayer and grayer and grayer. <laughs> and smarter and smarter. <laughs> yeah. And have created a ton more material since the last uh, time I saw uh, you. I've already shared your background, and so what I want to do now is just let's do some fun questions, and then we'll go okay. into our topic, which is what to do when I'm angry and how the detour method can help. First, we can get to know you in a different way. What's your favorite guilty pleasure TV show? Well, it was Downton Abbey, which I never thought I would ever watch. And the other one is Pole Dark, both on oh. PBS. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe that I just said pole dark. <laughs> Nobody knows that I watch pole dark, you know, but there it is. <laughs> so what did you love about Downton Abbey? You didn't think you'd listen to it and, or watch it and you got hooked. What is it that hooked you? Well, actually, it was the first show that really hooked me on PBS, you know, for a long time. I just didn't go there. You know, I'd rent movies and you know, stuff. But finally, somebody talked me into it and I went there and I just stayed it up. And then I just started watching mostly PBS and there's so many good ones, you know, just the historical value of it and the romance and the times were just so interesting. I always have wished that I'd have been born around 1880 
when things were like comfortable, but not too comfortable yet, you know, and there were still things to explore and get to know. So that's it. That's cool. So you wanted to be uh, as a bank robber. <laughs> oh, you, I was going to say, I yeah. see you as a bank robber. I could totally see yeah. that. <laughs> I know. That, I know that. I'd be yeah, a bank okay. Robber. No cameras, yeah. no recording stuff, you know. And I'd just go in and, and I would not even take a gun in. And I'd just sweet talk the teller into giving me whatever she had in the till. And, and then I'd ride off on my horse and go spend it. I could totally see the cowboy thing and maybe I could see the bank <laughs> robber thing. <laughs> How about uh, a, lot of people don't, oh. a lot of people don't like to hear that bank robber thing. but you uh, know. It's called just kind of being a rebel or, you know, yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. And Poldark is acting yeah. like maybe that was something you didn't want to acknowledge. So well, why a, is that? I don't know anything about a lot it. Of, a lot of people don't know that show nearly as well as Downton Abbey, but it's what's termed in romance literature as a bodice ripper, which I can't believe I just said bodice ripper. Okay, <laughs> what does that mean? Life. I don't even know. You know, a lot of romance, you know, oh, like romance okay. novels. It's okay. just a real good PBS romance novel. I've never read a romance novel in my life, and I never will, but I will confess to watching Pole Dark. Oh, I didn't know it was a romance novel. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good to know. It's, it's beautifully done. It's beautifully okay. done. Awesome. Okay, so we'll check that out. And we now you know can, that you, you like can romance. Edit, you can edit all that so nobody will know that I said it. <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. Oh, it's yeah. perfect. Yeah, because what we watch is fun. You know, it's just yeah. interesting to get a glimpse inside or outside of our normal persona, right, of what people normally expect or think. How about what actor would you want to play you in a movie? That's our other fun question. I'm trying to think of young actors because I'd like to see a young me. My first book, The Flying Boy, I sold the screen rights to that. And Martin Sheen was contracted to play my father in the book. Randy Travis, the country singer, was scheduled to play the therapist in that book. And Tess Harper, a great actress, was scheduled to play my mother, but it never got made. And I'm just hemming and hawing so I can think of uh, an actor. What's the guy? Will Smith. (laughs) That's who I'll say. Will Smith. Awesome. He can rap and he can sing and he can dance. Uh-huh. And he's a good actor. And, and he's see, a good that actor. Would, I'm really trying to get this racial stuff stopped where people don't say, oh, I have this black friend or I have this gay friend. You know, I, I want people, and myself included, just to say, oh, yeah, this actor is going to play me or I have this friend. You know, yep. and one of these days in a hundred years, that's going to be common. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Where well, you're not thinking of someone's color, you're thinking about their capability. Just, yeah. Just the person. You know, and young people in their 20s and 30s, the bulk of them have already started letting a lot of that go. And, you know, they're marrying interracially and, and not making a big deal out of any, all that. And, once my generation and my parents' generation 
sort of disappear off the planet. I think there'll be even more of that, I hope. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, I like that vision. And I like the actors that were chosen for the screen rights for your book, The Flying Boy. Yeah, I wish it had have happened. It may yeah. still one day, but Martin Sheen got the uh, West Wing television show right after they contracted to do the movie. And so once he backed out, all the dominoes fell. It fell, yeah. Well, with the fact that you're writing a follow-up to that book now, mm-hmm. uh, you never know. No. Never you know. know. Never whatever know. unfolds, you don't have much attachment yeah. to all that stuff, I don't think. But uh, not, how cool not. is that if the energy around that book and as popular as it was, and meaningful as it mm-hmm. was, is revitalized. That's cool. Be nice. Be nice. Yeah, maybe we'll I'd like, have to I'd play like, you. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to see Oprah one more time before I die. Yep, that would be cool. That would be cool. Mm. So thank you for right. playing along with our fun get-to-know-you questions. Yeah. We're going to go into the topic of anger. And okay. uh, again, you know, what we're talking about, what do I do when I'm angry? And we're going to talk about some of the methods and things that you teach. Before we get there, though, I want to talk about how did the topic of anger become a topic that you write about and specialize in as a therapist and teacher, trainer, coach? You know, why does this topic matter to you and how did it become part of your specialty, I would say? What would you say? Once upon a time, this woman loved a man and he was an angry man. And when she left, I asked her why she was going. And she said, you're the angriest man I've ever known. And I said in a flippant way, who, me? I said, I teach poetry and I teach religious studies at the university. I've never pushed you, shoved you, hit you, or slapped you. And being from Alabama, that's how that goes. And she left. <laughs> yeah. She yeah. left anyway. And I decided right then and there that she was right, but I didn't know how right until I got into therapy with a guy who later became a partner in my training program. And we did a lot of anger and grief work, and I found out just how she was right. And so I just committed to changing that and turning that around for myself more than anything else. I never thought I'd write about it, per se. I've written three books now on anger. You know, back then, I just wanted to do this so that nobody else that I loved or was loved by would be hurt by my repressed and stored up, bottled up anger that I didn't even know I had. That was the start of it. And I just kept working and working and working. And pretty soon I started pulling stuff together. You know, I read every book, every book that was written on anger, and none of them was satisfactory to me because they were leaving out a big, big couple of parts. Would you like for me to go over a couple of those now? Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. One of the things that they were leaving out was the body. Anger management and anger books, even today, kind of just make it an intellectual and head issue and a behavior mod issue that could be corrected using behavior mod techniques. And so I realized that anger and grief and all these feelings, you know, are in the body. And so I started accessing this anger and grief through my body in a lot of different ways. And so I thought that's a missing piece. But the biggest missing piece that, and I'm the only one that writes about this and have taught it for years and years, 
is that people, including therapists, were getting confused between anger and rage and using those terms interchangeably as if they meant the same thing. Mm -hmm. Many, many people would think and still do think that rage is just ratcheted up anger. But rage is a whole different animal than anger. I say, you know, one's a fruit, one's a an orangutan mad animal. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, so I decided right there that I hoped this contribution of separating those two. And once I really got clear how to separate those two and put the body component with it, then I wrote the book Facing the Fire, Experiencing and Expressing Anger Appropriately. And that word appropriately was another cornerstone in my work that I still believe that people had a right to be angry. They just had to learn how to express it appropriately where there would be little or no damage done. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw a quote on Twitter the other day, and I was thinking about what we were going to be talking about, and it said, anger is not a strength. It's a weakness, and it keeps you stuck. And I pulled mm -hmm. that and thought, hmm, I don't know that it keeps you stuck. I don't think it's a weakness either. It's knowing how to handle it. Um, well, see, there again, Susie, it's a confusion that many, yeah. many people rage is a stuck place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People stay stuck in rage for decades. I say in one of my books, anger expressed appropriately equals energy, intimacy, and serenity. We're not yeah. only not stuck, we're moving forward and out of that place. And yeah. the anger actually is for getting out of stuck places. Yep. You know, Jesus yep. walks into the temple and he doesn't try to use behavior mod on, on the money changers. Yeah. He uses righteous anger to throw them out, and then he moves on. Yeah. Now, what rage does, rage is is a stuck place, and it always equals distance, disaster, and divorce. Yeah. But they're very different, very different things. And so at most anger management programs that are around the country and people have to go to sometimes through the courts or through business, CEOs or something, human resources will recommend that. They don't treat rage. They treat anger. And it's not anger that got them to that resource. It was rage. Yep. So say it again. Anger expressed appropriately equals what are the three things? Energy. Intimacy. Intimacy. And serenity. Yeah. If I tell you in an appropriate way about what I'm angry about, but now here's the key to getting it to be intimate and serene. Anger is about what you said or did or didn't do yep. last night, yesterday, or today. Rage is about what you've been saying to me for 20 years. Yep. Now, my therapist says I need to talk to you about it, and that's going to take 18 hours. Yeah. You know. Because it's always about the past where anger is about the present. Yeah, so it's a backlog. When we are in rage, it's because mm -hmm. there's a lot of history in the anger. So the anger is ratcheted up. And any conversation yep. in rage is going to be long. And as you said, it keeps everything the same or you're stuck. Creates distance, disaster, and divorce. Three days. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Yep. See, anger is about today. Rage is always about 
the past. Yeah. You know, that yeah. something gets triggered, you remind me of something, I say something, and now we're off to the races. And yeah. very often, when people are raging, somebody in the relationship will usually say something like, where is all of this coming from? You're making a mountain out of a molehill. These are all yeah. non-psychological ways that we've been saying this for a long time. Yeah. It's funny, I saw this other thing, it was on Facebook, and I wrote it down, and it was a female who posted it. She says, my signature move is to bottle up feelings over time and then combust over some small issue and get accused of being a psycho. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's rage, That's right? Because, somebody yeah, just says exactly. rage. That's right. There's two forms of rage, Susie, the enrager and the outrager. The enrager bottles it up, bottles it up, stews in their own juices, swallows it, and then for a very short flash, they then become an outrager, and they yep. blow everybody out of the room. But the yeah. outrage keeps raging intermittently all along. Yeah, They don't swallow it. They don't stew in their juices. They keep blowing people out of the room, and they still haven't figured out that it's more about their past than what that person just said 30 minutes ago. Yeah, we always talk about that with leaders leaving dead bodies in the hallway, you know. Uh -huh. That's so right. That's you're, right. You're mad about some numbers. You're mad about how somebody behaved in a meeting. That's and right. instead of it being expressing anger appropriately, which can create, in your words, which I love so much, energy, intimacy, and serenity, or, in, and we might would say movement forward is another way, mm -hmm. they leave dead bodies in the hallway. They blast. Yeah, I'll yeah. never forget teaching a corporate seminar. One CEO said, well, you know, this is timely because just last week before this conference, I called my supervisor in and I just let him have it. Yeah. And then I thought, well, while I'm at it, I might as well go out to the shop and just let everybody have it. And that's exactly what you were talking about, yeah. you know, that leaving dead bodies in his wake. Yeah. We teach a process and it's a bit of the behavior modification stuff that you're talking about. Which is okay because you get a skill set, but it doesn't yeah, mean it doesn't work if, you know, if you're, but it's a piece of the puzzle. And we always say, you know, before you do an emotion check-in, you know, if you're hungry, yeah. angry, lonely, or tired, let's have the conversation another day until you're more settled. That's and right. so most people know, okay, if I'm hungry, lonely, and tired of the piece, I know what I need to do around those pieces. I need to reconnect. But they often don't know what to do if I'm angry. So when I'm angry tonight and I wake up in the morning and the situation's still the same, I'm still going to be angry. And I don't know really what to do with that to have an effective conversation with this employee, with my boss, with a coworker, with somebody who's not performing? How can I have a conversation? You know, like you said, there are behavior modifications that don't work right. if you've not figured out how to handle the anger. That's right. So talk to us a little bit about well, that. I know you talk about triggers, too much, too little, not some of that, but just take us wherever you want to take us in regard to, well, okay, yeah. I'm angry. What do I do? Okay, so one thing is, is just to keep delineating as best as we can, the difference between anger and rage. Anger is kind of like uh, somebody drinking that they have one drink and they're still sober. They have two drinks and they're still sober. They have a little bit of anger and then they have a little bit more anger and then they have four drinks using that metaphor. And then sober turns into drunk. Well, yeah. that's the way anger 
take a step, another step, another step. And then before you know it, you've slid off into rage. And again, the real thing is rage is contagious. That if the boss starts raging, the supervisor is going to start raging. Supervisor's yeah, going to totally see that. Yeah, and it just keeps going and going and going yeah. because it is contagious, whereas anger is more spontaneous. I want to talk about the things that upset me in yesterday's meeting, Susie, Yeah, not a meeting 12 years ago. So yeah. where we go with this, and this is the other key to the anger material that's not found anywhere except in my anger books and my book, Growing Yourself Back Up, is this regression piece. This is a piece that once people fully understand what it is, and I'm not talking about past life regression, I'm talking about emotional regression. Once that is in play, people can identify when they're going into a raging place by identifying when they're losing their adultness and returning unconsciously and unintentionally to their histories. And people regress all the time. And when they really regress is what you said, when they're hungry. But I have always expanded that not only for food, but for attention, for hungry for love, hungry for validation, hungry Mm -hmm. for approval. When they're tired, not just physically tired, but emotionally drained and tired. And when people are stressed, regression is going to get triggered like that. But when regression happens, rage usually happens. Not anger, but rage. Yep. They've had now, they're in the four drinks process. They're drunk. Yeah, there you go. There you go. (laughs) They've gotten sloppy. It's about to not look pretty. About to have an accident. Yep. And they don't know what they're saying. This is why when somebody comes out of a really, really dark rage, you can ask them the next day or tell them what they said. And very often they'll go, I didn't say that. I couldn't have said that. That's not me. I'm not like that. I've even had abusers say, I didn't realize I'd broken my hand by punching a wall until the next day. Could it be, John, more subtle too? Like I think about like one particular coaching situation where the employee is particularly triggered by the manager, particularly triggered. And so everything, and I would guess based on conversations, this person is looking for a validation. So they're hungry for validation. If that person were to be listening to this, they were like, well, I don't rage. There's always a problem. They might not call it anger, but they might call it neediness or you know, down on themselves, like, oh my gosh, you know, I got critiqued on this and it's not even a big critique, but they're like under the table about it. But rage, could that be like having too many drinks too? Because I think rage, they do think about punching a wall, but there are disconnected or regressed states, I would guess. You're the expert, not me, but I'm just trying to figure. There are regressed states that are, I'm not in the present situation anymore. I'm talking from my history, but I don't really acknowledge it, right? Talk about that a little bit. Somebody will acknowledge it. Usually a husband or a wife will say things like, I'm not your mother. I'm not your father. I'm not your ex-wife. That's how you know that you're going back and flipping back into the past when somebody will say that. Let me help with this by giving what I call the nine things that people do and say when they think 
they're expressing anger. All nine things are rage. Yep. Oh, this is perfect. Yeah. We haven't categorized them as rage really until recently when I wrote this book. So yeah. here's the nine things I'll list them. One, shaming. Two, blaming. Three, demeaning. Four, demoralizing. Five, preaching. Six, teaching. Seven, judging. Eight, criticizing. And nine, analyzing. This is what people are doing every day. And as one CEO said to me one time, he said, so this is what I do every day to my family, my employees, and even my dog. What do I say if I don't do these nine things? (laughs) Yeah, people think the analyzing. So help me figure this out. I mean, there's a snark to that. And the whole team, let me show you how to do this. Yeah, I'm just trying to understand. Help me understand where you're coming from. Now, that sounds really good on the surface, but really, that's implicit criticism. Criticism and judgment are the two that get used the most in business and in families. It can be criticism and judgment, too, of course. But more often, it's shaming and blaming. Oh, if you had only gotten into therapy when I asked you to, we wouldn't be in this mess. You know, those kinds of things. Yeah. And then there's a few more that people do, which is sarcasm. Yeah. Put down jokes at the person's expense. Mm-hmm. One upsmanship, manipulation, control, and gossip. Now, these are all forms of rage. Now, let me make one more clear statement. Rage is an action or a behavior that numbs people's feelings. So if a CEO is scared that his business is going down the tubes, he can go out into his offices and he can rage and he can push that fear down. See, the old premise, Bill is the premise for many therapists, is that anger is a secondary emotion and that it covers up what people are really feeling. My books and work says, no, anger is a primary emotion, just like sadness and joy or longing or sorrow. Mm -hmm. But rage is what overlays and pushes down so that that boss goes out. He doesn't look scared at all. He temporarily, while he's raging, looks what? Like he's in control. Powerful. Then he goes back into his office and he takes, you know, four drinks of bourbon you know, because he's terrified. Women sometimes who get really sad in a relationship or even a business will very often rage so that they don't look or appear vulnerable and sad. Men too. They need that layer on top so that they won't look that way and therefore look like they can be hurt even more and that vulnerable. When I think about all of these triggers, Plus the additional ones, sarcasm, analyzing, teaching, Mm -hmm. preaching, all of that. When you think about that in life in general, because whatever we do at work, we probably do at home. But I'll talk about it work-wise because that's a lot of our focus. But every one of these to me feel like it's a way to put distance between you and the other person. It's a separation. So if I want to engage somebody and I want their commitment, if I'm doing these things, 
I'm not bringing my best self to the table, mm-hmm. and I'm not seeing their greatest value. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to share things that could change or do different and behaviors. But if you're doing these things and you're trying to have that kind of conversation, it's not going to be helpful. You're going to create mm-hmm. defensiveness and separation. No forward yeah, moment is going to come from people, this. People say to me all the time, John, but as a supervisor, CEO, manager, whatever, I'm supposed to criticize. And I go, absolutely, that's your job. As a parent, you can even do that. But if you want to do it effectively and functionally, give the person some notice about what they're going to be expected to go over the next day or later that afternoon. Stay focused on that one thing. And then if somebody asks you, hey, Susie, can you tell me if I'm doing this thing right or wrong or upside down? Now, that's solicited criticism. It's the unsolicited criticism that usually creates defensiveness and distance. It took me years and years and years to realize as a preacher and a teacher, those were my two, along with judgment and criticism. Those were the ones that I'd go to most of the time. It took me years to realize that my family members never signed up to be members of my congregation. (laughs) Even though I would preach the gospel according to me quite often. And nobody in my family signed up to be my students. And yet those were the two ways that I would rage in my family situation. And then in my business life back in the day, I would use criticism, judgment, and analyzing. And nobody wants to be analyzed unless they're paying for it. That's right. Or unless they ask for it. Right. Yeah, it's reducing the resistance and the tension in the relationship, even if things are going wrong. Doing any of these things that you're labeling as rage, which are just such a great differentiation, is not going to create any positive momentum. No, no. I want you to know, and I want your listeners to know, these nine, 15 things that I just listed, we've been doing those for so long and having had those things done to us for so long, we think we're actually just telling somebody how we feel. And none of those words are about feelings and emotions. All those words are about intellectual judgments and logical, but they're none of these words is, you know, feeling. The second thing that I want to say, especially for couples, but business people too, rage comes out the most in discussions and conflicts, and it goes like this. I'm going to tell you what you did wrong, what you said was wrong, how you should have said it differently, and then you're going to tell me how I shouldn't have said what I just said. I should have been counseling much earlier, and then it's my turn again, and then it's your turn again, and at the end of this, you don't know any more about me and I don't yeah. know any more about you, yeah. and I don't like what you've told me about me since I didn't ask, and you damn sure don't like what I told you about you. That happens and happens and happens in everybody's life, yeah. and particularly in the workforce, and I know yeah. at home too. So let's talk about someone's listening now, are listening, and they're saying, oh my goodness, I think I do that teaching thing. I know I do that criticizing thing. Use a lot of sarcasm. I know I'm hearing this. It's making sense to me. 
kind of like you had that earlier experience where somebody said, you have this, and you're like, okay, I don't really understand it completely, but I think she's right. (laughs) What do they do? Talk to us about your method, which is what I learned years ago from you and continually put in practice in my own life. Talk about that. They're recognizing this in themselves and saying, okay, now what do I do? Okay, thank you for talking about that and doing that course. The bottom line here is you can never, ever remove regression from your life. It's going to happen periodically in direct proportion to how tired, stressed, sick you are and not taking very good care of yourself. Regressed people rage. Adults express anger appropriately. So what the detour method is about is trying to catch your rage and regression before you do too much damage. And the more you you work with it and see what your triggers are and what your buttons are and really identify how this is connected to your history from your 40s, 20s, teens, early childhood. And then you can catch your regression and you can catch this rage and not do too much damage. So the detour method was set up like this. Once you know that you're over the top, once you know that you're acting and thinking and behaving or going to act and think and behave disproportionately in an exaggerant way to the event, then comes to play where you would call Susie and say, I'm about to rip my boss a new one. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to lose my job, which means I'm going to lose my house and my wife's going to leave me and my kids are going to hate me. And you're going to say to that person, oh, thank God, I'm glad you called. And you're going to give that person, number one, attention. Attention will bring people out of some regressed states without doing anything else. And by the way, What I'm saying now is the cornerstone for doing the detour method. Attention is a key. You're going to give that person your undivided attention. Sometimes that alone will bring a regressed, raging person right back up into their neocortex and their prefrontal lobe because they've been in their midbrain or reptilian brain where the only options that they have is fight, flight, or freeze. So you're going to help unthaw them, you're going to help them stay put, and you're going to help them speak in an adult way by doing this detour method. The second one is empathy. You're going to listen to that person, give them attention, and empathize with them. Empathy says, I understand some of what you're going through because I've been through similar, not exact, similar experiences myself. Third thing you're going to give them is a little time. You're going to take time with them and let them get all this out. The fourth thing is, is you give them attention, empathy, time, contact, phone contact, face-to-face contact. You're going to put your hand on their hand if that's appropriate. You're going to put your arms around their shoulder if that's appropriate, but some kind of contact. These four things come together, they're going to get the fifth thing usually, which is release. You'll hear somebody on the phone, if you're working this way, go something like this. (sighs) Thanks a lot. Man, I feel a lot better. 
and you haven't even done the detour method. You may not even need to right. after that play. Yep. But if you do, if you do need that, you're going to say, Susie, thanks for the attention and empathy and time, but I still need to find out where all this is coming from. First step in the detour method is how are you feeling right now? And just let them vent. Okay. And the second is what is this, whatever this is being said or done, remind you of your history, remind you of your past. Third one. Now, a lot of people will say right there, it doesn't remind me of anything in my past. Yep. This has never I've happened heard that. before. If you give them five minutes or three minutes or two minutes instead of going with that, they'll go, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of this in years and years and years. And it's usually and not a logical think, connection because it's like right. you know, this guy or gal or boss is talking to me this way, and it seems odd. There's yep. usually some connection. Here's one that I did in a business situation conference. The guy says, John, I have told my best friend who works here with me, he and I have been friends since high school, I've told him I never want to speak to him again. I said, what's that about? He said, well, about three weeks ago, I told him something privately that I said I never wanted him to repeat to anybody, especially somebody at the office. But then we had a company picnic and party, and my friend got drunk, and he blurted this out. I just went ballistic. And so that's it for him. I know I'm overreacting. So I said, all right, close your eyes and take a deep breath. What does this remind you of? And, of course, the first thing he said is, it's about now. It's about my friend betraying me. He shouldn't have said that. I go, you're, all, you're right. But I just wonder, has there been anything else like that? He stopped for a few moments, and I'm talking 30 seconds. He said, oh, my God. When I was nine years old, I did something that my mother caught me doing, and I begged her not to tell my dad when he got home from work. And she said she wouldn't. But about three days later, she did, and I got the worst whipping of my life. And I said, so. What would you have liked to have said to your mother back then if you could have? And he said, well, I would like to say, you betrayed me, Mom. You lied to me. And damn, I got the worst whipping in the world. If I can't trust you, who can I trust? Yeah. And by this time, he's really emotional now. And then the next question in the detour method is, what do you wish your mother could say to you after you said that? And they always say something like, I wish she had have apologized. I wish she had have said she made a mistake, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. And then I said, okay, last question. What do you need to say to your best friend since high school? He says, well, I do need to say something to him. And I said, what would you say if he was on the phone? Go ahead and do a trial run. He said, I'd tell him that what he said pissed me off and I don't ever want him to say any more about it, and I'm going to be hesitant to tell them really interpersonal things like that. And I said, how long did that take? And he said, wow, <laughs> like 20 seconds, maybe? I go, right. You went back, you came out of your mid and lower brain, your reptilian brain, 
Now you're back and talking like an adult. Appropriate anger when you get down to that mm-hmm. last, by the time you process yeah. it, appropriate anger. Yeah. You know, he blew his friend out of the water first time. Yeah. Then he goes back and says what he really needs to say, because now he's talking about his friend saying this two weeks ago, not linking it unconsciously back to that event that broke his heart and got his butt burned up. So anytime we are in any of those rage behaviors, judging, Mm -hmm. critiquing, analyzing, Mm -hmm. we want to become so self-aware that we realize I am disconnecting from what's in front of me. I'm creating distance by some of these behaviors, subtle or blow out of the water, dead bodies. Either one is harmful. If I really want to manage that, I can either go to someone, such mm-hmm. as John Lee or Susie Price or whomever mm-hmm. you trust that will listen and give you attention. That can be a key part of it. I'm just kind of recapping here. Key part yeah, that's, of just that's, listening to you and giving you right. empathy. Um, One of the things that I always love to do, I just did a whole family up in uh, Wyoming where I taught them all of this, the whole family. All this stuff, I did a three-day intensive with them where I taught brother-in-law, sister, mom, son, this material. And one of my other favorite things, which I've done several times, is there's been several CEOs in corporate, people who would hear these presentations, and then they would hire me to come do their entire staff. Yep. One guy in Atlanta, he heard a three-hour presentation of what we just did. And the next week I went and he had every one of his employees and all his relatives and in-laws. <laughs> he had everybody there. Like yeah, how people, smart is that? You know, and it was like so gratifying because now everybody was on the same page. They're saying things like, oh, right now I'm too regressed to talk about this or you yeah. know, or I know that I'm being disproportional and over the top. I'll talk to you tomorrow about it. So that is so powerful. And, you know, we talk about conflict and that we need to have productive conflict and need to have those kind of I don't agree with this or, you know, to have what you would call appropriate anger. And that's how you get all the opinions on the table. You get everybody engaged. You know, your meetings are passionate and intense because we say what we really think. But if we don't have the tools to know when we're slipping over into rage and we're bringing past history with and we don't know how to deal with that, that's why people don't want to say what they really think in these. No, that's They don't know how to differentiate. That's right. Nine people out of 10 are conflict avoidant people. Yep. One of the reasons why if you have a conflict with your employee or boss in Atlanta, you'll take a trip to Borneo to keep from having to face it. Stay in Borneo for a couple of months, hoping that by the time you get back to it, your boss will be dead so you don't have to have conflict. One of the reasons why is we grew up around inappropriate raging conflict, and we don't have currently present tools and ways of dealing with conflict that is appropriate, healthy, and actually lends itself to communication. So we stuff it, we swallow it until we blow up. And then the other part is, is that 
a lot of times, you know, people are just saying what they think, 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 think. This yeah. is especially true in intimate relationships. A woman will say, tell me what you feel about blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And unless they have trained themselves in emotional intelligence and done a lot of work in that area, they'll always tell their wife what they think. Yeah. That'll never be satisfying. And the good news about this all is there's people out there like you. There's all these people writing about, teaching, doing seminars yeah. on enhancing emotional intelligence, which one can do for the rest of their life. Their IQ is set by 19. Their EQ can be advanced for the rest of a person's life and should be advanced yeah. and increased. And, you know, it's so funny that I am having this conversation about this because I grew up with the worst role models. <laughs> you know, when I talk yeah. about do the conflict courses and stuff or, you know, some of the different things that I do, it, it's like if anybody can figure out how to have straightforward conversations, you know, that I can address it. I had the worst role models on the planet, <laughs> you know, so good people, I, I you know, but they didn't know how to do it. But, you know, I, I say all the time, I'd have been better off raised by wolves. <laughs> The two things wolves know how to do is communicate from long distances away, and they know how to play. And then the third thing is they're monogamous. And in my family, it was just crazy, no communication, dysfunction, alcohol. So I tell folks, listen, if I can stop raging, which I have 99% of the time, nobody's told me I was the angriest man since my 30s. If I can do it, anybody can do it. If you can do yeah. it, anybody can do it. Yeah. So yep. everybody listening to this should take heart because you can do it. Yeah. And it's a process and it's a journey. And the big piece is, I believe, I mean, there's so many big pieces of this, but having some framework for understanding, which is what you're providing here, the difference mm -hmm. between the rage and anger, and then you know, framework for how to deal with that, which is the detour method. And I'll put a link to your book and some additional notes. You know, we'll have a show notes page with all these steps that you've outlined. So you have this framework, you know the difference. And then the other pieces, you have to have some self-awareness. You have to become aware of yourself, you know, right. and, and pay attention to how you're coming across. You know, before you can do any of this, you've got to become aware. And I can remember through my years, I've done different types of coaching and counseling so that I can bring the best of myself to life and what I do. And one of the counselors years ago said, I want you every day to pay attention to how many times this day you reverted to your eight-year-old self and your 15-year-old mm. self. Yeah, because there was yeah. a little bit of a pattern, you know, and it sounds all therapy-ish and all that stuff, but it's life, you know, and it's real, and I got a great life, and I got good stuff going on, and so all of us, I just say that to say we all have these things, you know, and so it helped me so much. I mean, I constantly yeah. thought back at the end of the day, did I have any moments where I was, you know, emotionally taking a hit about something and feeling like, and I usually didn't act out on it. It would just kind of shut me down. I had enough awareness not to take action, but it would just shut me down. You know, so my you know, eight-year-old self, which is trying to over-please people, or my 15-year-old self, which is being mad. And see, the, the good thing about this, this all has good ending news here, 
is all over America and Europe. Now, CEOs, dads, moms, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, ministers, therapists have all this material and all this information that we didn't have 50 years ago. You know, I was angry at my father. I was angry at my mother. I was sad about how I was raised. But by going through those feelings and discharging those emotions, looking back, I could honestly, from a feeling place and a true place, say my mom and dad did the best they could. Yep. Now, if mom and dads or bosses and supervisors don't access some of this material out there, then they're not doing the best they could because everything is on the Internet. There's a conference on emotional intelligence in every big city in the country, you know, so go do it if you hadn't already. And most people are kind of open to it in a way that certainly when I grew up, nobody went to see a therapist. I mean, I think every family has things or we as humans have things that like the gentleman whose mom ended up telling the dad what he did. I mean, they could have been the stellar parents, and they were. They were doing a great job, but that event triggered a defensiveness, you know, brought it all back in a current event. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's not just dysfunctional family situations that cause us sometimes to regress. It's just situations, life, things. Right. And usually the way we behave in families originally as children and even adults, a lot of us carry that right over into our business and work lives, too. We just use different things. People have said, well, now those things that you listed that are rage, I said, well, a lot of people don't do all of those, but you might do shaming and with your adolescent, you might blame your wife. But in business settings, you might use over-criticism and analysis and judgment. You swap these out based on what context you find yourself in. Right. Talk a little bit about the difference you've seen over the years. So somebody is doing, and maybe if you have an example in a business context, where they're doing a lot of that criticizing and analyzing or sarcasm or some of those other things that happen all the time at work. And they take this message, they realize, okay, that's not helping me. I'm going to manage myself because you could be managed by somebody else, but you can actually just go through these steps by yourself Mm -hmm. if you wanted and kind of like reflect. If you're willing to sit and reflect, you could do it. Can you think of any example where you see somebody kind of really turn something around or? Well, yeah, I mean, I have a number of people who have done this over the years. And what it comes down to simply, Susie, is nobody ever told me this before. You know, like when I give clinical conferences or corporate conferences, people will say, I've never heard that there was a difference between anger and rage. I've never heard of the word emotional regression because that's just not part of their daily routine. But once they hear it, you know, I've had a lot of people who will say, you know, both in my business life and home life, I don't rage anything like I used to. Here we are at business. You know, Jim, I just don't think no matter how many times I show you how to do this, you're ever going to get it. Okay? What's that? 
shaming, yep. demeaning, criticizing, <laughs> preaching, teaching, all in two oh, sentences. We've talked about this son and we've talked about this son till I'm blue in the face. I don't think talking is ever going to get through to you. If your mama hasn't raised you the way you were raised, then we would have a much better relationship. And boss, doggone it, if you would just take a deep breath and work on your temper, everybody in this office would be better off. All these things are just inappropriate as hell. And they're going to trigger you. You're going to get defensive. And off to the rage races we go. Catch your regression before you do too much damage. Catch it. And the way you catch it, you talked about your body. Is it (laughs) noticing some physical signals? It's awareness of the concept of emotional regression. I'm now enraged. But is there something in our body that we'll notice? I'm sure it's just tense or stress. or Every person on the planet has a body indicator when they are about to go off on somebody. They're about to have conflict and they don't know how to handle it. Nobody has ever heard the words, I want to see you in my office first thing Monday morning and think, damn, I bet he's going to give me that raise I so readily deserve. (laughs) That's never been thought in the history of business management. (laughs) That person goes back to wait till your father gets home, wait till the principal gets home. Boy, are you in trouble now. So your body will tell you that. My single most one is when I have a big knot in my stomach. At the thought of having a conversation with A, B, or C, my mouth also gets dry. People's heart pounds so much, they're about to pop out of their chest. They'll get headaches. They'll get stiff necks. Their back will hurt. People get cold feet when they feel like they're too young to be married at the altar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a figure of speech, but it's it's the body feeling. It's anxiety, a lot of this, right? That's right. Yeah. Up in the Appalachians, mountains, way back in the hills, people would use the word for arthritis. They'd say things like, oh, yeah, Ole Miss Smith has the angry fist disease, that literally her hands were turning back in on themselves. Ah, You wow. know, I mean, it, that yeah. was real, most obvious. So I ask each person in seminars to really locate where in their body that they're feeling this overreaction, disproportional reaction, and then listen to that part until your bowling ball knot goes down to the size of a golf ball. You better wait and do the detour method. Yeah, there we go. There we go. That's so smart. So now one of the questions, and we'll go toward close, if that's okay. If okay. you're not the person in rage, but you're you're with someone, you're not a coach, you're not a therapist, you know, maybe you're a boss, or maybe you're an employee, and you see somebody doing some of these rage things, I would think that the things that you would do if you're trying to be of service, now they may or may not have asked you for help, but things that you could do is give them attention, probably. The empathy, all of the things that we're talking about. Talk a little bit about that. You're not the person in rage, but someone around you is. Let me distinguish real quickly the difference between empathy and sympathy. 
because a lot of people, especially Southern people, I'm sad to say, have those two mixed up as well and use them interchangeably. Sympathy says, I feel what you feel. If you're sad, I'm sad. If you're scared, I'm scared. If you're angry, I'm angry. Empathy says, no, I'm not going to take on your feelings. I got plenty of my own. But I (laughs) will walk over to the regressed person and say, would you like to talk about this with me? Is there something I can do? Now, one of my little taglines is, if you want to really have good communication, ask a question and then listen. Yep. Adults ask questions. How are you doing? Are you getting enough sleep? Regressed men and women assume they already know the answers. Good Lord, honey, you look tired. You need to go to bed. Well, <laughs> I wasn't tired till you said that. <laughs> now I'm <talking. laughs> It is so true. And being respectful of others, to me, it's not respectful to assume I know what they're going That's right. That puts them in a child state and you in an overlord state that knows not only what you feel, but what they feel and need. Yeah. Yeah. Before every coaching call, I have this sheet that I read and I don't have it in front of me right now, but it's, you know, everybody has their own wisdom. I do not take on their development. I'm here to listen Hmm. and support. You know, I have a whole list of things, but it's exactly what you're talking about, to remind me not to take it on, uh, not uh-huh. get assumptions. Because it is human sometimes to, if, especially if you're a fast-paced person like I am, to kind of want to speed things along, you know. And it's like everybody's got their own pace and their own journey, and I don't know their answers. They know their answers. So let me listen. Let me ask questions. Now, there's an old Arabic proverb that says, haste is of the devil slownesses of God, Mm, you know, that if you really, really want to be a good communicator and listener, you slow everything down to, you know, the speed of life instead of the speed of a computer. And boy, we're moving faster than light most of the time. So ask a question, then listen and respect the person that if they do need your help, if they would like your attention and empathy, that they're adult enough to ask for it. And if they're not, and you give it to them anyway, they're not going to be in an adult place to receive it. They'll yeah. just go in one out the other. Right. So it's ask questions, listen, remember the difference between empathy and sympathy. So we're going to go to our three closing questions, John. Okay. If you could put one billboard anywhere with anything on it, where would it be and what would it say? Well, I'm going to alienate a couple of uh, people right here, probably. I'm going to say, number one, that children should be adored and respected and loved beyond any other priority. And then the second one is, is this racist bigotry stuff has got to stop. It's got to stop that Muslims are people, black people are people, and that the greatest contribution to humankind would be to treat our children with respect and cherish them and get rid of this petty, scary, inappropriate racism 
that should have been gone a long time ago, but keeps getting in our way more than anybody can believe. So that's a lot of words on that billboard, but I'd put some neon around it. I'd put some bulbs on it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Because if you're respected and cherished as a child, we all are going to have moments of regression, but they don't live in that space probably all the time, probably. And then the racism piece is about, I mean, your work is so much about connection and, Mm -hmm. and help people move forward. And that racism is just separation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need more connection, not division. Yeah, yeah, more connection, not division. Love that. So talk about what advice you'd give yourself. You're talking to your 25, 30-year-old self about anger and emotional regression. I would tell my 25-year-old self to buy Whole Foods, Dell, Microsoft. I stock in those. Some buddies and I were sitting at the first Whole Foods grocery store that started here in Austin. That's where it started. And it was about the size of a big stop-and-go 7-Eleven. Somebody came out while we were eating and said, have you heard? Uh, Whole Foods is going to start selling stock. And I said, oh, hell, this little hippie place, it ain't going to be a business six months from now. That's one thing I've never forgotten that moment. I can see that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. The real one would be, uh, (laughs) you know, just to relax, just to relax and get more help sooner. One of the things I love is when men and women in their 20s or 30s will come do these trainings and workshops and other people's trainings and workshops. Because, you know, the younger you start learning this stuff, then the more time you have to apply it. Uh, A lot of people don't learn this stuff or even have a conversation about it until they're 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. So I just say, calm the hell down. Stop (laughs) pushing the river. Listen better. Get some anger work done. And also to let out every tear that you've repressed trying to be a man about it. Yeah. So that's that and one. I love that. And I believe, I have not read Flying Boy, but I believe that's what your bestseller, Flying Boy, is about. Is that correct? This, yeah, it's about, it about how young men can't make commitments and can't grow up. They're sort of boys in a men's body, so to speak. It became a national bestseller and sold more than my other 20 put together, practically. I love that. And I love that. I mentioned it earlier, but I just want to mention it here is that you're working on, I wrote down the title. Let me look. You're working on a follow-up to that. That is Letters to Flying Boy, Getting Back to You 30 Years Later. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Answering all the letters you got when you were traveling around that book and on Oprah and all that. Answering all those yeah. letters in detail. That's right. In depth. Some have. of the answers, pages long. Whereas it would have been sentences long if I had answered their letter at 33 instead of 66. (laughs) Yeah. And when is that going to be available, John, that book? Hopefully at the end of 2018, very early 2019. I'm hoping 2018. Awesome. 
Last question. Let's close with a bit of advice or wisdom. You've given so much already, but if you were going to you know, leave the biggest takeaway that you'd want every person listening to this, which you want them to remember about anger, rage, the detour method, being a great leader, what would you say? Here's the first one, but I promise you I'm going to give you a second one too. Here's the first one, okay? Okay. Before you make somebody angry, walk a mile in their shoes. And then if they get angry, you're a mile away and you got their <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Very good <laughs> advice. Yes. I love that. So the serious one <laughs> people have already turned it off now. They go that's Oh, I love that. Humor is awesome. Okay, so now. Yeah, but the big one is, and this is going to sound, it's not meant to be funny. Matter of fact, it has stuck with me probably as much as anybody said about anything. And it comes from an old guy that I went to 12-step meetings for a while, for a long while over in Atlanta when I lived in Woodstock. Every meeting, the guy would hold up his five fingers, hold up his hand, and he'd point to his thumb and then go through the five fingers. He'd point to his thumb and he'd begin, there are no big deals. And he'd point to each finger as he said that. And what I realized finally, after hearing him say it about 6,000 times, <laughs> is he's right. That cancer's a big deal. Being late for an appointment isn't. Yeah. Your kid being hurt in a car accident is a big deal. Not that you can't get online as fast as you'd like to. Divorce is a big deal, you know. So in his very simplistic way, he was saying most of what we think are big deals are not really. And then when big deals really do come up, we're exhausted from making all the things that weren't big deals into big deals, and we're exhausted, tired, or regressed. There are no big deals. Hunger's a big deal. Racism's a big deal. Shootings are a big deal. But your car breaking down is not a big deal. And I used to make everything a big deal. Yeah. There you go. There you go. I love now, it. Everybody take this with a grain of sand. Remember, it's all good. I come from Alabama, not Harvard. <laughs> and it's practical and it's real. And I know I have benefited from it. Our paths crossed all those years ago, and I still have all of that material and reference it on a regular basis and have continued to build on it to try to bring my best self to what I do and hopefully help others. So your work is a blessing and so are you. Well, thank you, dear. And thanks for doing this. Thanks for staying in touch. And that was so much fun, except for the part of what my uh, actor would be. <laughs> and, <laughs> but it was still good. And I hope that when you haven't got anybody else to interview or something or you want to do another one, you'll give me a call and we'll talk about the world and the wisdom another time. Yep, I would love it. I'd love it. The best way okay. to reach you is johnleebooks.com and we'll have that in the show notes so people can find you. And 
Say there's somebody in corporate right now that says, oh, I like that intensive idea. Are you up for that? Interested in that? Well, um, yeah, I do. I do count. these two-day intensives for individuals and couples, both yeah. at my cottage in Alabama, about two hours from Atlanta, and also here in Austin. But then I do, on a regular basis, corporations, you know, where they'll bring 10 or 15 people of their okay. management. Employees. I do those in a day-long setting, and okay. I'll come to wherever they are for that. Okay. And do you still do individual and, calls, yep, or yep. you do some of and that? Most, yeah, most of my counseling and coaching now is on Skype, Zoom, or just yeah. phone session. Awesome. Okay? Okay. Well, thank right. you so much for doing this, Susie. It's a pleasure, and I wish you the best of luck, and I hope people enjoy this show. and. Be sure and let's stay in touch, okay? We will. We'll follow up with you, John, and, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Susie. Bye-bye. So I hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to recap a couple of key points that John shared and I want you to think about. about Since nine out of ten of us tend to avoid conflict, I want you to think about the fact that anger is a primary emotion, just like sadness. And if it's expressed appropriately, it can positively build relationships. And I believe it's very important in our work life as well as our personal life to be able to be real. We always talk about being authentic, you know, an authentic leader. So if you can understand that anger expressed appropriately is a positive and good thing and know the difference that he talks about, about between anger and rage, we know we're in rage if our feelings are numbed and we're doing a lot of the things that he shared, and you'll see in our show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash anger. Rage is contagious in a negative way. It builds, it separates us, it creates disaster. And so just knowing that is a huge takeaway. Um, And I think also to think about the fact that we are going to regress. We are going to have rage moments. We don't remove them from our life. Um, But we can become aware of them and we can pay attention to when we are judging, criticizing, teaching, preaching, and you'll see the list in the show notes. If we're feeling disproportionately out of sorts with someone that with there's some actions we can take using the detour method, we can get attention and empathy from someone. We basically want to reach out to trusted coach, colleague. Um, And I have coaches and colleagues and friends that I would reach out to. If you and I work together, you want to reach out to me, Um, but reach out to someone you trust to get attention and empathy, someone that is going to listen closely to you about the situation or whatever before you go into rage and create the distance between yourself and others. Um, You want to give yourself some time, kind of our concept from the how to resolve conflict like a pro class, which is give yourself some time, halt. Give yourself a little time, distance from the situation so that you can express your anger appropriately. And then we talk about the detour method questions. And if you think about John shared the story of the leader who was angry at his longtime friend who he'd known his whole life and he was going to not ever talk to him again because he shared a confidence with someone at work. Here are the questions that you can ask yourself or you can ask Uh, someone to walk you through them. Uh, I use them myself, uh, journaling, and I have used them with others. So the first step is, 
How am I feeling right now? So acknowledging how you feel. I feel angry. I feel upset. I'm never going to talk to that person again. Just let it out. Okay. Second step is, okay, now that I've let the feelings out and I've just acknowledged how I felt, what does it remind me of from my history? Has there been anything else like this in my past? That's the hardest question. Um, But if you are in a bit of rage, judging, critiquing, uh, criticizing, teaching, preaching, analyzing, creating that distance from another, there is something else that this reminds you of. So stick with it for a little bit. And, And it's not always a logical answer. What does this remind me of from my history? Where else have I felt like I'm feeling right this moment? If you stick with it, something will come to you. Then the third thing is to say, what would I have liked to have said back then that I didn't ever say? And you just say those things. You can kind of have the conversation now. And then what do I wish the other person would have said or done? You know, if it could have been different, I wish it would have been this way. And through the action of getting attention, giving yourself some time, asking yourself these questions about how you're feeling, what it reminds you of, what you have liked to have said, what you wish someone else would have said or done, you've usually by that point moved out of rage or the regression. And now you're ready to express anger appropriately and you're back in the present day situation. And so from there, now, what do you want to say to this person or this situation? It's so simple and profound. Try it before you knock it. You know, words don't teach. Life experience teaches. So listen to this stuff. You know, we say a lot of words, right? Now, go put it into action the next time you feel out of sorts around somebody. Or call me and we'll walk through it together. And you'll be surprised where you land. And now how you're ready to have a solid conversation that builds the relationship, doesn't destroy or break it down. There are some books that John Lee has, and I'm going to have links to these in the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash anger. One book is The Anger Solution, The Proven Method for Achieving Calm and Developing Long-Lasting Relationships. So if you are one of the nine out of 10 who avoids conflict, get this book. His other book is Growing Yourself Back Up, Understanding Emotional Regression. That's the book that I met him. He had just published that book, The Growing Yourself Back Up, and it specifically goes into the detour method. Um, He also has, and I've got a link to that in the show notes, he also has Anger Solution Masterclass. So it's a masterclass online. It's a three-hour video course, and then it comes with some bonus audio and video files. That could be an awesome class as well and a way to, if, if seeing a video or going through that is easier for you than reading a book, that might be, an, and there's some audio and additional audio and video files that come with that. So you'll see all that in the show notes, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash anger. Stay in touch with me at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash contact. You'll see my contact information there. Send me an email, call me, reach out. I'm also on Twitter. We're pretty active there at Wake Up Eager, all one word. I'm also on LinkedIn, Susie Price, and on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Wake Up Eager. So all of those places we communicate, have a monthly newsletter. You can enroll, uh, sign up for it. 
And on my website, I have plenty of material that you can reference. And I look forward to our next episode. I'm going to do a three-episode series on new hires. So we're in a tight employment market. And uh, we do, we being Priceless Professional Development, do a lot around hiring assessments and my book, How to Hire Superior Performers. That's a big piece of the leadership puzzle. And so we're going to talk about new hires and things you can do. I'm sharing information from my book around that, around how to keep people employed and to stay with you. And I'm also going to interview one of my clients who is a very large organization and one of their experts in the recruiting and um, human resource world is going to talk about some things that he's observed. And then I'm also going to talk to another HR professional who is a client and they're a smaller organization and they're going to talk about things that they do to keep uh, employees with them and uh, limit the turnover, uh, especially with new hires. It's a great You know, in the first 18 months, I think the number is, you know, 50 or 60 percent turnover. So and it's expensive to hire people. And right now it's competitive to get good people. So hopefully this will be a great topic. It's very different from what we talked about today. Uh, But if you think about the things that I talk about the most, it's the wake up eager habits that are important, which is taking care of yourself so that you can bring the best of who you are to your work. It's growing trust on your team. It's learning how to activate greatness on your team. And that is some of the subjects that we're talking about here. And it's putting together the right team, which is the hiring subject. So we cover all those angles in this podcast and in the work we do. And I just thank you for tuning in. And if you would like to leave us a review, you'll see there a place to do that on the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash anger. And we appreciate a review so that other people can find us. And we appreciate you tuning in. So we'll talk on the next go round. All the best. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 